Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Well, hello again. I'm Carmen LaVerge. This is Hour 2 of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. I'm so happy to be spending this time with you today. Um, thank you for those of you who have shared some prayer concerns on the text line this morning. Just remember, you can text me anytime, 877-933-2484. Maybe you've got a, a prayer concern today. Maybe um, maybe you've got a testimonial. Mm-hmm. Love to uh, love to hear your um, your testimonial about why you're listening and what difference uh, listening to Faith Radio makes in your life. That would be a blessing for me. That's like you know a gift of the day if you were thinking about that. Um, and then let me just uh, let me start with this. If I were to say, "Oh, yesterday was one of those days. Yesterday was one of those days." What would our conversation over coffee then? Uh, look like or sound like, you know, if if one of us just started with, whew, yesterday was one of those days, what, um, what kind of conversation would follow? Um, yesterday was one of those days uh, on the world scene. I mean, yesterday was one of those days in each one of our lives, like, right, because that's, that's how life works and unfolds. But yesterday was one of those days, um, in the cosmic reality of God, like, right? Yesterday was the day of salvation for some people. That's amazing, which means that like today's like the first day of their discipleship journey and they're waking up and they don't know, they don't know how to walk with the Lord yet, but they sure are excited about it. And they're looking for Christians to walk with them. Like just, um, just know that like yesterday was the day of salvation for some people. And so they're out there and uh, it would be great if you and I, who've been walking with the Lord for some period of time, might come alongside and walk with those folks. Like, there's an opportunity today. Like, yesterday was one of those days. Yesterday was one of those days um, that people got terrible news about physical diagnoses, or um, yesterday was one of those days in terms of loss of life, or hard things that had to be said or done. Yesterday was also one of those days that might might have just seemed like any other day. Um, but I, I think yesterday is one of those days that might go down in history as a notable pivot point in world history. Um, I, it's hard for us to imagine, you know, what it would have been like to have been alive and privy to the meetings that were held um, between people who we now know orchestrated um, what we call the war to end all wars. Like, we weren't in those rooms on those days and in those places. But yesterday, um, a meeting took place that might well go down in human history as a significant uh, point on the geopolitical calendar globally in all of world history. Meetings matter. And the three-day 
visit between Chinese President Xi Jinping and his quote unquote dear friend, Russian President Vladimir Putin. Um, that meeting, that series of meetings, this three day long um, meeting, it's going to conclude today. And it, it matters a lot. Their discussions have included a quote, no limits relationship um, and an invitation for Putin to visit uh, Xi in China. Um, there is, you will hear it across every outlet of media, clear concern about China's rising influence in the world. Um, they have obvious influence in, in Asia and in the South China Sea, but they also have really significant influence in India, sub-Saharan Africa, the Middle East. It was China, not the United States, that brokered a peace deal between Iran and Saudi Arabia, just announced last week. China's Belt and Road Initiative is something we've talked about over the course of time. It extends the influence of China in ways that we in the West cannot fully appreciate. China is, um, according to assessments by people who know a whole lot more about this than I do, China is building a, quote, alternative international order. Uh, and they're doing it everywhere right now in real time. Um, China also has very real access to American minds and hearts through something called TikTok. And you may have waved this off as insignificant, but Pew Research finds that in 2022, um, 26% of all U.S. adults under the age of 30, so a full quarter of young adults, regularly and exclusively get their news from TikTok. You say to yourself, I didn't think TikTok was, I thought that was like dance videos. Um, yes, it is dance videos, but China controls the content. And teenagers get almost all of their news from TikTok. Young adults, uh, a quarter of young adults get all of their news exclusively from TikTok. And they don't even recognize it as a news source because, yes, they're on there watching videos that are very brief about other things. But what is streaming through their feed as they're scrolling videos um, is news that is curated um, by China. And they consume it completely unaware. And it's the only news they consume. So um, here's the connecting point today. Um, China's a threat. I don't know how else to say that. Um, and it's time to wake up to it if you've been asleep uh, on this particular topic. We want to be praying for um, the influence of Christians in China, and we want to be praying for the gospel to spread, and we also want to be praying um, that people around the world would... Um, would see the threat and, and the challenge before us, not only as individuals, but as a people who are knit together um, across international lines in ways that, uh, that are now impossible to ignore. So um, it's not just about a significant person of influence being on the rise, Xi Jinping. It is also about a country being on the rise, and that country is China. All right, we're going to have uh, more time together here in just a moment. Um, you are listening to Faith Radio, and I am Carmen LaBerge. You are uh, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Um, what does it mean to have the most basic respect for human life? I want you to just consider that for just a moment. What does it mean to have the most basic respect for human life? 
And what does it mean um, to have the most basic respect for human life in a culture where that most basic respect has eroded away? Um, The most vulnerable, the youngest and the oldest, the infirm, people who cannot care for themselves, um, their lives are made not only incredibly difficult, but often terminated for the convenience of those who have the power um, and who want to make their own lives uh, easier by eliminating the complicating reality of a child they don't want or a spouse or a parent or a sibling who um, depends on them for life. I mean, that's what happens. When When the most basic respect for human life is eroded in a culture of death, what happens is the most vulnerable are literally killed off. And you say to yourself, well, that's illegal. <clears throat> let, me, um, let me just lift up to you a case in point out of Canada. Um, so one case in point, and you're going to think of this as like a person who became collateral damage um, in the assisted suicide culture that we are, that's growing today. So we're talking about euthanasia, and we would be talking about um, physician-assisted suicide, except now we're talking about the facilitation of suicide of the sick and disabled and the elderly and the infirm, the mentally ill, the serious ill, seriously ill, anybody who has, is no longer healthy and able-bodied. Um, and that's, that's where Canada has arrived, and so it's become increasingly difficult for um, for Canadians to sort out what is homicide and what fits under, you know, like compassionate death. And so you have fallen off a moral cliff once you have arrived at the place where um, for the convenience of those who are able-bodied, it becomes okay to kill off those who are not. And um, so case in point, this is from the Edmonton Journal. A retired accountant killed his severely disabled wife. Um, He's going to be allowed to serve his sentence on house arrest. He is not going to go to prison because the judges ruled that the accused caregiver burnout reduces his moral responsibility for this crime. So still a crime, to kill your wife who had a stroke and you have grown tired of caring for her and you resisted because of your own pride uh, taking the help of others um, and the state, which offered which offered to care for her. Um, he killed his wife. And um, even though he refused state assistance and the assistance of others, um, he he is not found guilty of murder. He was allowed to plead down to a lesser offense and he will serve his quote unquote time and under house arrest. He's never going to go to prison. And the defense attorney used um, euthanasia advocacy as, uh, and the legalization of euthanasia across Canada as um, part of the argument for why this individual um, should not be, held responsible for killing his wife. The compassionate shortening of the final step is the way it's articulated. 
um, and talked about how societal attitudes toward assisted death are rapidly changing, have rapidly changed. Um, and his preference for death over acknowledging that as a caregiver, he couldn't care for his wife. Um, so his pride in failing to receive for her the help that others were offering. Um, like, we've arrived at a place where um, our collective conscience is no longer um, advocacy for life. And um, and so, yeah, I, I just, there's a moral cliff and Canada has fallen off of it. Um, so how do we react to these kinds of stories? At what points do we resonate? Uh, maybe you are a caregiver who is exhausted. What is our response? How do we come alongside? How do we alleviate the pressures of caregiving? How do we address the issue of pride in those who don't want to receive the help of others? And where can we turn for resources? Well, let me encourage you. Um, Johnny and Friends is a great place to turn for resources. Churches offer daycare. They offer respite care. There are um, visiting I would call them visiting angels, except that's like a, now a an actual company. But like there are people um, from churches who will visit you or the person in your care who um, who needs to be cared for so you can have some respite care. Like help exists. Um, please, please access it. We want to be people who value life at every age and stage um, to the point of natural death. And yeah, we're going to have to help each other. Um, in the midst of what has become a culture of death, as we are people who believe that God is the giver um, of life and really the only one in a position um, to take it away. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great Faith Radio podcasts like mine? Search Susie Larson Live at myfaithradio.com. Or wherever you listen to podcasts, hit subscribe and have a great day. We are made, made in the image of, made in the image of God. Beautiful shades of love. We are Thank you for those of you who are texting in. Let's be lifting up one another in prayer today. Um, uh, yesterday was a day that my brother-in-law met Jesus. I, um, there are two ways to interpret that, Jojo. Uh, met Jesus in terms of became a Christian, came came to Christ, or went home to Jesus. Um, so I, either way, um, celebrating that rebirth day um, and loving you in the midst of loving your brother-in-law. Um, uh, we've got a friend who says a uh, group of 25 of us from our local Christian high school traveling to Costa Rica on Saturday for a week-long mission trip. Please pray for safety as we travel um, and, and everything else that's related to that. Absolutely lifting you up um, today. Lifting up um, uh, friend Sue, um, who is, you know, has ongoing um, concerns about her son. Um, lifting up Mary, whose adult daughter um, is angry with her. Um, because Mary is not um, affirming choices that her daughter is making. Um, Mary's heart's hurting today. I bet you know what that feels like. So let's be praying um, for Mary today. Um, All right, um, on and on and on. Uh, And yes, there are people uh, playing God in relationship to life. And 
They're doing that at every end of life and every age and stage of life. And so let's be people who honor God with our lives and honor God um, with uh, the way that we not only think about the things of the world, but how we engage the things of the world. And so let's talk just for a moment. I mean, circling back around to the influence that technology has in our lives, um, how dependent we are upon it. Uh, let's see. TikTok, the CEO of TikTok is going to testify before Congress tomorrow about the influence of um, that particular platform. It's a Chinese-owned social media platform. It has 150 million active users in the United States. Um, and so you're, if you've been saying to yourself, I'm not on TikTok, I'm not watching TikTok, I don't know what it is, it's not downloaded on my phone. Yeah, uh, it is uh, for 150 million users in the United States. Um, the CEO of TikTok is expected to testify under oath before the House Energy and Commerce Committee tomorrow. Um Use of TikTok has increased by 50% um, in just the last uh, few months in terms of regular use among Americans. Of the 150 million people, uh, 8% of them are under the age of 18. Um, so, right, just challenging, right? They're being heavily, heavily influenced by a foreign government. It's just, this is just challenging. Um, so... Uh, TikTok says it's worked to create a risk mitigation plan to ensure that U.S. data does not get into the hands of a foreign adversary through its app. Um, and the company has said that U.S. user data um, is already stored outside of China. Okay, the fact that it's collecting data on U.S. users and storing data on U.S. users should be troubling, right? Um, so anyway, it's gonna. Uh, you're going to hear more and more about that um, in in the media, and it's worth um, considering. And absolutely, in my view, um, delete it from your phone, and you know, uh, over the people you have influenced, delete it from their phones. Like seriously, when you say like I've brought a listening device into my home, you've not just brought a listening device; you've brought a listening app. Um, and not only that, there are people who are interested in influencing you and your worldview. Pumping information through that app into your um, into your life in ways that you're literally like unaware. Um, Russia is praising China's proposal for peace in Ukraine, even though the 12 point plan is totally lopsided in the direction of Russia. That will be in the news today as well. Um, and the Pentagon here, the United States, is on track to send now Abrams tanks and missiles to Ukraine. Uh, the timeline is now accelerated for the Patriot missile defense system to be deployed in Ukraine. Um, the Defense Department's um, spokespeople are uh, are announcing. So, um, yes, there is a war in Ukraine. And as much as you might like to imagine we're not involved, um, we're involved. The whole world is now involved. Is it a world war? Absolutely, totally, 100 percent depends on how you define that term. So let's be praying. This is not about um, becoming people who are full of fear. This is about people who are full of faith, reasoning together about what's going on in the world. We're not going to stick our heads in the sand. Um, we are going to stand on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ, even in the midst of the shifting sands of the days in which we live. Um, yes, there is. Uh, uh, there are storm clouds gathering on the horizon, or as Jim Dennison says, um, you know, there's a tsunami coming. Um, it doesn't change the reality of who Christ is um, or of his authority in our lives. 
or of the reality where we're going to spend eternity. Um, But it is the circumstances of our particular day. In the midst of all of that, Jesus comes and Jesus bids us come to him. We're going to talk next with Rebecca McLaughlin. Um, We're going to talk about Easter. Easter's actually, you know, like on the way, fast approaching. Is Easter believable? Is Easter believable? Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. You already know uh, Rebecca McLaughlin. You know her um, as the author of Confronting Christianity, 12 Hard Questions for the World's Largest Religion. She's also the author of Christmas Unbelievable, question mark. And here with us today to talk about Easter Unbelievable, four questions everyone should ask about the resurrection story. Rebecca, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Oh, oh, geez. It's coming up in how long, Paul? Uh, in three point. minutes. Oh, my gosh. In three minutes. I'm so excited to talk with her. I'm oh, so... I get it. I get it. She's great. Oh, geez. Okay. In three minutes, Rebecca McLaughlin with Is Easter Unbelievable? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll clean up on aisle four in the meantime. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake. Rebecca McLaughlin has become very adept at answering um, the questions that skeptics are asking in the culture, and frankly, the questions that many Christians are asking, um, but they're not asking them out loud. And so here we go. Is Easter unbelievable? Rebecca McLaughlin, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning. So glad to be here. Good morning. So um, you've got four questions that everyone should ask about the resurrection story. Um, maybe we'll just start with this. Like, there's skepticism that a guy rose from the dead. There, there absolutely is. And to some extent, there should be. Like, this is a, this is a crazy claim that, that we as, as Christians believe, or I as a Christian believe, that 2,000 years ago, an actual physical human being, this first century Jewish rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, died on a cross and was raised physically out of that grave three days later. Like that, that's a, that's a wild claim. I think because uh, many people in our culture are used to the fact that that claim is out there. They, they don't really realize that it's actually a massive deal, whether this happened or not, because if it didn't happen, then Christianity is, is a fraud. It's a fake and, and none of us should be Christians. If it did happen, then that makes every bit of difference to every part of our lives. There's no way that Jesus' resurrection can be like, oh, well, you know, interesting historical situation, um, but not massive relevance to my life now. So we could, I suppose, go two directions here. We could talk about the most compelling evidence for the resurrection or for the Easter story, you know, or we could, you know, we could ask what are the primary um uh, questions that skeptics raise about mm-hmm. the Easter story, and really, the the one set of ev- the, the evidence answers uh, answers the questions. So uh, address it either way you want. These are the these are the most common questions skeptics ask, or <laughs> these are these are the best evidences we have that the story is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think for a lot of people in our culture today, they might think you know maybe there is a God. 
you know, a lot of people at least somewhat believe, think it's it's somewhat plausible that there is a there is a God who who made the world and 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 who made us. But when it comes to a claim like Jesus's physical resurrection, that feels like a kind of supernatural bridge too far. You know, that's that seems like that that's that's pushing things um too far. But actually, if you think about it, if if there is a God who made the universe and everyone in it, who made the stars, who made the galaxies, who made you and who made me, it would actually be sort of illogical to think that he couldn't raise somebody from the dead. Like miracles like like the resurrection or, or like Jesus's um, virgin birth at the beginning of his life on earth are actually not uh, sort of irrational to believe if there is if there is a God who made the universe. So then we need to think, okay, you know, if it's at least possible that there's a God and the kind of God who could do miraculous things like that, then what evidence is there that this did actually happen 2,000 years ago? And I actually think that the best evidence, the strongest, most compelling evidence for Jesus's resurrection isn't isn't even the the historical um, pieces that we can um, excavate and uncover around it. Like, you know, the fact that Romans were actually very good at killing people. So, you know, some people say, well, maybe Jesus didn't really die on the cross. Um, it's not, not actually very plausible because Roman soldiers were, if they knew anything, they knew how to kill, right? Like they, this was not their first rodeo um, with with executing Jesus. Um and and so you know the the idea that maybe he didn't die on the cross and so he was not raised to life but that actually he just sort of revived in the tomb um you know after after a rough couple of days it, it is not not very plausible um or the idea that yeah he 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 died um and then his his disciples kind of came up with a a, a ruse like a, a a trick um to say well we're, we're going to say he's he's risen from the dead um we know it's not actually true that's also not very plausible because many of his first followers went on to to die for this claim. And it'd be pretty weird. I certainly wouldn't want to die for a claim that I knew was was false. But I actually think the strongest evidence for for the the claim that Jesus rose from the dead 2,000 years ago is what happened next. Mm-hmm. Because what we see is this this little band of, you know, probably a few dozen, like certainly not more than a few dozen, um, frightened, dispirited, grieving followers of Jesus, who from their perspective, everything had gone horribly wrong when Jesus was crucified. Even though he told them multiple times this was the plan, they had not gone on board with that. You can see that throughout the Gospels. So so they're thinking this is complete disaster. They don't know what to do. And suddenly, this little group of frankly cowardly, dispirited, discouraged disciples turns into a preaching team that changed the world. And this tiny kind of Jewish sect becomes the movement that has had more impact on human history than any other movement, becomes the the worldview, the belief that more people around the world today hold than any other belief. You know, almost a third of the, the humans in the world today at least identify as, as Christians. This is This is larger than any other religious belief system. It's larger than any secular belief system by far. It's across all cultures and all countries. I mean, it's 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 not just limited to one particular kind of culture or, or or history or country, this is truly a global movement that has changed the world. And you've got to ask yourself, what on earth kicked this off? You know, what made this first century Jewish man who never wrote a book or, or ruled an empire or sat on a throne or, or raised an army the most famous and influential human in all of history? And I think the answer is the resurrection. It's really hard for us, Rebecca, I think, to get get all the way back to the place and time and circumstances um, of of the reality of the first Easter 
because mm-hmm. we live so far from it in so many ways. We live with, I mean, you know, literally thousands of years of benefit mm-hmm. on this side of the resurrection. Um, it's just, I think, really hard for us to get a first century Middle Eastern Jewish under Roman occupation. Yeah. Um, yeah, we can't smell. We can't smell Calvary the way people in the first century would have been able to smell it. Like we can't. Yeah. yeah, we don't we don't feel this in the same way. Can you talk about that? Like the distance does the distance mm. from the event matter in terms of both skeptics and the inability of Christians to articulate the the reality of it. I think the difference the, the distance matters but not in the way that people think. Usually people think, well, because we're we're distant from an event, um, the closer we get to it, the less plausible it's it's going to seem. Actually, in in this instance, I think the closer we get to it, the more we we try to get our heads around, as you say, the the first century context, the more plausible it becomes because of its outrageousness. You know, the the idea that somebody who was crucified—I mean, for us, for us, a cross like signifies Jesus, and and signifies you know, you see somebody wearing a cross necklace like out of silver or gold or something. For for us, it's like a kind of nice religious symbol in many people's minds. For for first century folk in, in this culture, it was completely horrific. Like people didn't even want to talk about crucifixion in, in polite society because it was like offensive and it was the, the worst kind of death that anyone could imagine. And it was specifically designed to be that so that, that people could be made an example of. And so the idea that this man who died on a cross was in fact the very son of God would have been utterly outrageous to first century is in ways that it's hard for us like you said it's kind of hard for us to even get our heads around that because we're so used to that idea even if we don't believe it we're kind of used to the fact that that's like a claim people make in the first century that was that was wild and and to say okay you know this crazy thing happened as jesus put it the son of man didn't come to be served but to serve and to give his life for, as a ransom for many you know that the god of all the universe not only became human but but even went on to die this shameful, humiliating, excruciating death was completely extraordinary. And it, and it actually started this revolution in, in morality, in, in, in how we even think about um, ethics and, and how you should treat other people. Because today, actually, whether or not somebody identifies as Christian, you may have a neighbor who identifies as atheist or agnostic or, or, or Jewish or, or, or Muslim, almost regardless of how people identify in, in, in our culture today. They probably hold certain things to be like self-evident truths. You know, like all human beings are basically morally equal. Men and women are fundamentally equal. The strong and the rich and the powerful have no right to trample on the weak and the poor and the marginalized. In fact, they need to to care for and provide for those who are less fortunate. These things that seem like basic moral common sense to us now are actually specifically Christian beliefs, which in the first century, people would have been like, what are you talking about? Of course, the strong and the rich and the powerful get to beat up the weak and the poor and the marginalized. Like, why would why would that not be the case? Of course, men are more important than women. That's obvious to everybody. Like, we, we don't know how much of our thinking even today has been shaped by the outrageous claims of Christianity and, and, and just the, the sort of moral revolution that, that's happened that, that flows out of Jesus' death and, and resurrection is something that, that we, we don't even realize today because we're so used to it. But if you look back, if you, if you try to get closer, if you look back over the history of ideas, you'll see more and more that, that all kind of roads converge in this moment in the first century when this Jewish rabbi died on a cross and was was claimed to have risen from the dead. Hmm. Is Jesus's life historical? Is Jesus's death ethical? 
Is Jesus's resurrection credible? Is Jesus's offer desirable? Those are the four questions everyone should ask about the resurrection story. They are the four questions addressed in Is Easter Believable? And yes, we do have copies to give away today. You can text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484 to enter that drawing. More with Rebecca McLaughlin next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Rebecca McLaughlin, she is, among other things, the author of Is Easter Unbelievable? You can connect with Rebecca online at RebeccaMcLaughlin.org. Um, Rebecca, uh, let's, um, well, let me lift this up to you because this came to mind as you were talking about the cross and the way that we wear it and the assumptions that we make about it in the culture today as if everybody knows what it is and what it means. And maybe this could be a segue into a conversation about how do we as Christians, as we approach, I mean, as Easter is coming soon, um, and as we approach Easter, how do we prepare ourselves to enter into meaningful conversations with with other people in the culture who literally don't know what the cross is? Mm-hmm. And um, so I have a friend, Susan, she's now with the Lord, but she, um, she was on a visit in Chicago. Uh, this is like five years ago. Um, and she's, uh, walking, uh, uh, you know, walking down the street and turning up to, to go up a set of stairs into, um, you know, like into a brownstone and, uh, and there's a child sitting there, maybe five or six years old, a little girl. And, Mm -hmm. um, she just looks directly at Susan and, you know, sort of that eyes, you know, eyes meeting kind of thing. And Susan had one of these like winning smiles and, you know, smiled at this little girl and, uh, they introduced themselves to each other and the little girl points and says, what is that? And Susan is like, you know, trying to figure out what the girl is pointing at and eventually reaches up to her neck. And she says, oh, you know, my necklace. And she says, yes, but what is that on your necklace? And Susan, you know, fumbles with it in her fingers. And she realizes that this child is asking about the cross and says, well, Mm. it's a cross. And this child says, well, what is that? Yeah. You are preparing us to answer that question, not just for the little children in the culture today who literally don't know what the cross is, but for Mm. a lot of other people walking around in the culture today who do not know what the cross is. So so help us as believers who wear the cross as a necklace, you know, or, you know, and and in a culture where people don't know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, yes. The cross, on the one hand, is incredibly offensive and on the other hand, is incredibly beautiful. So, so why is it offensive? It, it's offensive because, a- according to the scriptures, Jesus came to die on a cross to pay the price for your and my rebellion against God for for what the Bible calls our sin. A- and without the cross, we could not be welcomed into relationship with God again. Now, that's that's really offensive. That that says there we had a huge problem. Not just like, well, you know, you and I aren't perfect, 
Um, but if we if we try really hard and like Jesus gives us a great example, maybe we can maybe we can be good enough to to enter into um, everlasting life with Him. No, the message of the cross is you and I to be to be put it bluntly, we hadn't a hope in hell without Jesus coming and dying in our place. So the cross is offensive. At the same time, the cross is incredibly beautiful because the fact that that God sent his one and only son to die in your place, to die in my place, to die in the place of that little girl, to die in the place of anyone listening to this conversation today means that you and I are profoundly loved by God. It, it means that that we were worth that kind of sacrifice. You know, I have three children who I love profoundly and deeply. It, it, the idea of sacrificing one of my children <laughs> Um, you know, it's horrifying to me. I, I love them. And yet God was willing to give his one and only son. And Jesus was was willing to give himself because of love for us, because of love for you and for me. He was willing to go to the cross for our sake. So we we can't come to Jesus with our pride intact. We We can't come feeling like, you know, we're probably good people. And Jesus is kind of lucky to have us on his team. We have to come like we see people in the Gospels coming, like on our knees, in desperate, in in need, crying out to Jesus for help. And when we come that way, he welcomes us and embraces us. And and according to the Bible, the, the most profound and beautiful, loving human relationships you and I could ever experience, whether that's a, a marriage relationship or a um, the best friend relationship you've ever had, those give us a tiny little glimpse of the kind of love that Jesus has for us. The cross, um, you know, I think we, I think we know how to get people to the foot of the cross. I'm not sure mm. we always know how to get people to the empty tomb, or we know how to get people to the empty tomb, but we don't know how to get them to the cross. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe uh, spend a minute equipping us um, as Christians in the culture today, um, you know, who want to engage with a person who does not believe. I mean, maybe a genuine spec- uh, skeptic, but maybe just a person who's never been told the good news. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right that probably the, there are some of us who who would go straight to to the cross and be able to explain, "Hey, you know Jesus died for your your sin and for for my sin." But maybe aren't aren't really sure what the resurrection's about other than, "Oh yeah, and he also was raised to life." Like we sort of not quite sure how that that fits in, into the picture sometimes. Um, but actually, the, the cross and the resurrection kind of work together. There's no, there's no tearing them apart because the resurrection not only proves who Jesus is and that he is in fact the Son of God, who he's he's claimed to be, and, and proves that everything he's set up to that point is true. It, it also means that that we can be united with Jesus because this is the um, the beauty of the, the heart of the gospel. It is not just that Jesus paid for your sin and for mine as like a kind of external um, third party, you know, brought in to to fix the deal um, and set things up for us. It's not like Jesus is kind of like our ticket to heaven. In fact, relationship with Jesus is what we call heaven. Um, so so the fact that Jesus has has come back to life um, and, and beaten death, you know, the reality is all of us, how we, we may be to varying degrees aware of this, especially if you're younger, you might have like put out of your mind the fact that you're going to die one day. If you're if you're older, you probably you know, had enough friends or family members die that you're kind of more aware, hey, at some point, you and I, all of us, are going to be facing death. And the resurrection says there is somebody who has walked through death, somebody who has beaten death, somebody who has destroyed death on our behalf. 
And if we will put our trust in him, he will, he will grab us and, and hold us in his arms and carry us through death to everlasting life with him. This is the, the, the best news ever. Um, this, in fact, answers our, our, our deepest um, fears, responds to those, and, and, it, and it fulfills our, our, our wildest dreams, that, that we are more loved than we, we ever realized, and loved by somebody who can actually carry us through death into, into an eternal and everlasting and, and unbounded life with, with him. And, and that is what the resurrection is like, the, the, the breaking of the new dawn, the, the first sort of glint of the sun on the horizon that shows that day is coming, that night does not win, that you and I can be welcomed into this resurrection life. And that one day you and I will have, if we put our trust in Jesus, we'll have resurrection bodies. Now, this is one of the things I think people often think Christians believe that our souls are immortal and that we'll kind of, after we die, our souls will float off to be, you know, with God in some ethereal plane, like some like non-physical reality. But actually God God made made our bodies. He made them fundamentally good, even though they're they're sort of broken up by by sin and 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 you know we live with the consequences of um of that in our lives today that after our death if we put our trust in jesus he will one day call us out of our graves and and give us resurrection bodies the, these these new um bodies that are sort of somewhat like the ones we have now but actually so much better the, the kinds of bodies that will enable us to live with him forever um and, and i'm so excited about that i can't i can't i cannot <laughs> wait for that future reality yeah, that's the 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 happily ever after um, or happy ending frame in which you uh, have this entire conversation about um, is Easter believable? And so I want to thank you for that as well, Rebecca. It is framed in um, in this place of my heart's desire for a happy ending um, mm-hmm. and to live uh, in a happily ever after reality. So um, thank you for that as well. Um, Rebecca McLaughlin is the author. You can connect directly with her at Rebecca mclaughlin.org. We are giving away copies today of Is Easter Believable? Four questions everyone should ask about the resurrection story. Just text the word book to 877-933-2484. If you're listening to this as a podcast, there's still an opportunity for you. Um, So go ahead, text the word book to 877-933-2484. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. We'll be right back. Hey, this is one of those whatever happened to that guy uh, moments. Um, do you remember Coach Joseph Kennedy? He was the uh, high school football coach in Bremerton, Washington, who lost his job because he had been, uh, you know, leading student prayers at midfield after games. Well, the Supreme Court, you might remember, um, ruled in his favor last June that his prayer groups were protected by the First Amendment. Um, he has now reached a settlement with the Bremerton School Board. They voted unanimously last week to pay him $1.7 million and give him his job back. So, um, yeah, I'm thinking that the uh, Booster Club at the Bremerton High School, I think it's, uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun, fun year of football in Bremerton. Um, speak, your, speak your peace and bow your knee and lift up your prayers and be public about it and trust God um, and glorify him, honor him, fear him. Be a living demonstration today of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that somebody might point to the cross and say to you, what is that? Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. 
If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.